Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Tortoise. Hello, it's Liz Mosley here. I am your special guest presenter for today's episode. I uh, used to be an editor here at Tortoise, a regular on this podcast, but because James and Giles are larging it in Davos, uh, they've asked me to step in for them and it's really good to be back. It is Blue Monday, the 15th of January, the saddest day of the year. From Tortoise, welcome to the news meeting. It's a cold sprint to the finish in Iowa, where thousands of people will caucus to determine the winner of that state's Republican presidential primary. Five migrants have died in French waters as they tried to cross the English Channel. Around 70 people were trying to get into a small boat attempting to launch from a beach when it overturned near Calais. There is a new volcanic eruption. It has happened near the town of Grindavik in the southwest of Iceland. Kenyan runner Agnes Ngatich broke the 10-kilometer world record in Valencia on Sunday, shaving 28 seconds off the previous mark and becoming the first woman in history to run the distance under 29 minutes. So, what should lead the news today? Joining me here are Tortoise reporters Chloe Hajimatheu and Will Brown. Hello, gang. Hi. Hiya. Nice to see you. And because the race for the White House kicks off in Iowa today, we're also joined by Leslie Vinjamuri, who is director of the US and America's program at the Foreign Affairs Think Tank Chatham House. Good to be with you. Nice to see you. Let's start with long story short. In a single sentence or just a few words, what do you want to talk about, Chloe? People seeing red in the Red Sea, escalations, Houthi Mm -hmm. rebels, Western military retaliations. Okay, red in the Red Sea. Got it, Will? A hundred days. Oh, yes. Uh, Israel Gaza. Exactly. Uh And Leslie, you know you want to talk about the presidential election, but what's the angle? Uh, The beginning of whether or not Trump makes it to the White House. The beginning of a choice for the American people. I feel like it's been going on for some time, the beginning of that story. But yes, we're still officially still at the beginning, I guess. The first time, the very first time that Donald Trump's name has actually been on a ballot since the 2020 elections. Okay. Um, Right. Let's start in the Middle East, I think. And then we'll go uh, to the US. Will, uh, 100 days of the war between Israel and Hamas, grim, 
obviously, as a milestone, but why do you think it should leave the news today? Well, so it's been 100 days since we all flicked on our phones and saw these appalling images coming out of Israel of uh, men flying in on paragliders into Nova Festival, of, um, of murdering and raping more than kind of 1,200 people in Israel. And now li- listeners will be well aware of just how utterly horrific uh, the scenes in Gaza are. Um, but I just, I guess, for 100 days, I just want to run through some of the key details just to remind people. So, so far, there have been 23,950 deaths in Gaza, according to the health ministry, since the ground offensive started. And an important detail is that more than 10,000 of those have been children, according to the ministry. Um, almost 90% of Gaza's uh, population of 2 million people have been displaced from their homes. Uh, that's according to the UN statistics. And on average, about 10 children are losing one or both of their legs every day, according to UN statistics. Now, I think that, and, and just to emphasize to people, the scale of destruction is so immense that doctors have actually created a new term to describe what is happening to many children in Gaza. It's WCNSF, means wounded child, no surviving family. And I think at Tortoise, we've tried our best uh, to keep in touch with different journalists, but I just wanted to give you a flavor of their experience. So we've been working with some journalists on the ground and we frequently lose contact with them for days or weeks at a time. And when they get back in touch with us, they say they're incredibly professional, incredibly stoic, but they basically tell us stories of their kids starving in front of them. And and so I think uh, on, on the military front, so far it seems that Israel seems to control most, if not all, of northern Gaza. There's uh, growing pressure, obviously, on the Israeli government because 100 and uh, something, uh, the most recent figures I've seen are 188 soldiers, Israeli soldiers, have been killed since the ground offensive started. And also there's massive pressure growing on Israel, beca- uh, on the Israeli government domestically because of the hostages. So about half of the hostages have now been released. Uh, those are through different negotiations, primarily negotiated by Qatar. But most of those released have been elderly or children. Yesterday, Sunday, was the 100th day. To finalise up, why... Do we care about 100 days in? Well, I think normally in journalism, I think anniversary stories are bogus. I think they're, they're boring. It's kind of something you publish when um, you've got nothing else to, to write. But I think in this case, 100 days is a really useful marker point for us to re-examine, to, to look at kind of just how different the world is in a way. These, the world In the last 100 days, the world's been kind of turned on its head and it feels like we're on tenterhooks and we're one step away almost, one bad decision away from uh, a war erupting out across uh, the Middle East. Well, uh, I mean, it's, it's just beyond dreadful, some of those detail points that you listed about what's happening in Gaza and indeed what's happening, with, we, we assume, is continuing to happen to the hostages who haven't been released yet. It's just beyond awful. As a journalist yourself, and I guess as a news organisation, after a hundred days of, you know, relentlessly awful information coming out of the situation, what are you doing now? What do you? Where do you go? Are you sort of? You go through a phase where you're trying to establish the veracity. You're trying to get sense. I remember when there was the blast at the hospital and the, the the news coverage was, okay, what has happened? We were trying to find out what really went on. And then there's a sort of, now we need to tell more human stories. We're trying to get first-person testimony. Then there's sort of comment and analysis. There's political evaluation. There's sort of predictions and forecasting of where is it going to get. What 
what's the what's the purpose? What's the useful journalistic job to do at this juncture, a hundred days in? It's a really good question. It's not one I can really answer that easily. I think that maybe I'll give a quite simple and maybe inane answer to you. I think we just need to carry on doing our jobs. You can feel incredibly helpless at times, but I think you just need to keep doing your job. You need to keep trying to verify the information coming out and keep holding those in power to account. That's what I think we should do. And I think, yes, okay, is there a clear kind of storyline right now at 100 days? No, but I think it is a good excuse to kind of remind people about what's been happening and, and, and just go over the key facts of what we actually know Chloe, what do you think? I mean, I think I think it's astounding that it's come to this. I I think after the attacks on Israel, which were so horrendous and which shocked the whole world, it was, I think everybody could understand that Israel was going to retaliate. That made total sense. And the West's support for Israel after such horrendous attacks was, you know, to be expected. But after this many deaths, I, I don't think there's a conflict that I can think of that... Um, is anywhere near this ballpark. And I've been trying to understand why Western governments are still uh, supporting this action because it doesn't seem to be in anyone's interest. Um, The anger that this is going to engender and is engendering all around the world is so immense. Um, It's going to be very, very difficult for Western governments now to criticise Russia, for example, for bombing civilian neighbourhoods or civilian buildings. There's there's a real sense that there is a uh, double standard here. And I also think this is going to be a huge recruiting tool for jihadists all around the world. The Palestinian issue was always one of the main recruiting tools for jihadists. Now, this is like, you know, recruitment on steroids. I think we're going to see the, the ripples and the echoes of this coming, carrying on for decades to come. And I can't see that this really is in anybody's interest. Most credible people who understand the Middle East and understand Gaza don't believe that Hamas can be wiped out. Hamas is as much uh, an idea and aspiration as it is a, a physical entity. I can't see that there will be a day where Israel says, right, job done. And if we carry on in this way, I, I, I can see only harm coming from this, both for Israel, but also for the West that is supporting this, which I think can only really be called a massacre of the Palestinian people at this point. Leslie, what do you think? Um, it, I think right now there's a real concern about what what is exactly as we've just heard 100 and now one days of truly shocking mass atrocities that began with that um Unexpected, and I think the unexpected part is really important. Nobody thought that this would blow up in the way that it did. They certainly didn't think that Hamas had the capabilities that it that it proved to have. Um, but the risk now is not only of the current um, uh, the current atrocities that are being committed by Israel in its attempt to wipe out Hamas, an unachievable goal, but but also that it that it spills over, that the war extends to include Hezbollah, that Iran becomes more active. And of course, right now, there's a very extreme concern for global shipping, for global commerce, the attacks by the Houthis on the Red Sea, which is directly linked. And there is a you know real question of whether um, there will be some strategy that can lead to a dialing down of the crisis of the conflict um, as opposed to an escalation. Oof. Um, <laughs> that's my searing editorial insight <laughs> on that particular story. I mean, it's a really, really hideous um, 
hideous anniversary. But I think probably we should come to your story next, Chloe, because I'm not sure you can draw a definitive line between what you're pitching, Will, and what you're going for. So should, should we go for your for yours next, Chloe? Yeah, so, so mine is about the fact that um, on uh, Friday, the West, which is America and Britain, launched attacks on the Houthis in Yemen. This was in response to an ongoing barrage of assaults on international shipping in the the straits uh, called Bab Mandeb. Actually, in Arabic, interestingly, it means gate of tears because it's such a narrow oh. pass that takes you um, basically from the from Asia to Europe. It's a tiny strait that ends in the Suez Canal. And the very opening of the strait, Bab um, Mandeb, is controlled at the moment by the Houthis. Right. I have to say they've been saying, they've been warning the world that they control these straits and they may use this for quite a long time. A while ago, the head of the Houthis said that the West should fear this more than Iran's nuclear capability. And so it's come to pass. Shipping has Because been... of the trade access. It because of the trade access. Right. Exactly. Because uh, something like 20% of world shipping goes through there. I mean, we're talking about... Most of the toys and Hamleys that you'll see will have gone through there. The clothes that you buy in the high street will have come from Asian countries, from India, from Indonesia, cars and technology from Korea, from Japan. You know, a huge percentage of the goods that we take for granted come through those straits in big shipping containers. So the Houthis have been saying for some time, this is interesting context, that they control the Gate of Tears. I'm going to go with that title. Wind back a, a week before the initial strikes happened, what could or should the West have done at that point to to, to sort of ameliorate the problem, if that's the right way of phrasing it? It's a very good question. Um, uh, Stop the war in Gaza? I I don't know what the answer is. I mean, the Houthis have been very, very clear. The reason they are launching these strikes, they say, is in response to what is happening in Gaza. They say they've been attacking Israeli-linked vessels. That's not true. They've been pretty much attacking any vessel that they they can in those straits. And there was a big escalation just before Friday. After the West had given several warnings to the Houthis to stop, they, instead of stopping, they escalated. I mean, this, as far as the Houthis are concerned, this is playing brilliantly back home. Uh, The public in Yemen are very, very supportive of the Palestinians and extremely angry. They support the Houthi action in the Red Sea against international shipping vessels. And it's been a massive recruiting tool for the Houthis. Since the the conflict started in Gaza, they've been recruiting tens of thousands of new soldiers for their mission. So this is playing very, very well for them. Obviously, there are bigger international um, uh, tentacles that come off this, which is, you know, there's been a war in Yemen that's been raging for, you know, almost 10 years. And there's been some kind of... uh, uh, peace negotiation under play between Saudi Arabia, who was backing one side in the war, and the Houthis, who mm. were fighting on the other side. And it's it's a very delicate operation, but it seems that Saudi Arabia really wants to put the war there to rest. Um, and that would mean some kind of recognition of the Houthis. That is getting more and more difficult with the Houthis' actions. On the other side, Iran has been arming the Houthis. The Houthis were a mountain uh, rebel faction And now they've become major military players in the world because, in large part, Iran has armed them with very, very sophisticated weapons. And Iran, I have to say, 
is arming the Houthis, but I'm not convinced they are completely in control of the Houthis, though I would say that this maybe takes the the, the um, world's focus off Iran somewhat. Iran might have its own reasons for not wanting to put the reins on the Houthis' attacks on international shipping. It may very well be useful for Iran to have the focus uh, taken away from its efforts to enrich uranium. In November, there was a leaked IAEA report which said that Iran has enough uranium enriched up to 60% purity, which is close to weapons grade. Uh, And so... A former UN weapons inspector in Iraq said last week that they just need a week to produce their first nuclear weapon. So Iran wants the focus off them and Mm. elsewhere in the world. Um, And that's been happening. Giles, I know, gave the context for this uh, uh, Yemen scenario in Friday's episode of the news meeting with the help of Janice Iona Craig. So what specifically has happened over the weekend that's new and different from what we learned about on Thursday night? So there were the attacks by Britain and America, and uh, those were pretty extensive, actually. They hit about 60 different sites. They they struck again on Saturday, another radar site in Yemen. And this morning, the Houthis responded by attacking a US military warship. So... Nothing Does has happened. Does that change the game when the Houthis attack a military vessel? Is that a different... Well, Grant Shapps was interviewed on the Today programme this morning. He didn't seem to give any indication that anything had changed. I think it's very, very difficult for the West to engage in all-out war in Yemen. They had to retaliate. They had given a warning. Had they not acted, their warnings clearly would mean nothing. So they, they were forced into a corner. I'm not sure they can do very much. Mm. It's it's a real problem. I don't think that they can they can hurt the Houthis' capabilities. I'm not sure they can wipe out the Houthis' capabilities. Leslie, this this activity um, in the in the Red Sea is this touching the sides in the U.S. domestic news agenda? This kind of thing, or not so much? I think it's certainly touching this. It's it's hitting at the at the policy debate in Washington very in a very significant way. It's uh, something that people are aware of because commerce and trade and global trade and America's ability um, mm-hmm. to work with its partners to police and you know maintain the global commons and international shipping is seen to be and is vital to the prosperity of American people. I, this is right hitting right at the heart of America's core national interests. It's a very important concern. I think that the Republicans are certainly use the, using this to attack uh, President Biden for being weak, for not having been stronger in his um, effort to mobilize the weight of America's power to deter the Houthis in these attacks. It's not only the shipping, it's the cost of insurance. It's the time, as we know, to divert those ships, um, several days added. And it's the vulnerability that it implies more broadly. It also, you know, gives other actors the idea, you know, the notional idea of what could be done to harm not only America's power, but, you know, prosperity globally. It's absolutely vital. Well, I've actually I've been to the the, the, the Bab al-Mandeb Strait. I've dipped my toes in it uh, from the other side. So from Djibouti. And I don't know if anyone knows much about Djibouti. How but do just, we picture it? What does it look like? Kind of kind of white sandy beaches, kind of quite flat, kind of arid kind of scrubland around. But but what I will tell you what it looks like if you look at it from the Djibouti side is Djibouti is bristling. It's a small Horn of African nation, tiny population. Yeah. It is bristling with military bases, international military 
spaces. Right. right. So it is one of the most fascinating places, just across the, the, the straits from Yemen, because you have not only a massive American military base there, you also have China's only foreign military, oh, permanent foreign military base, just on the other side of this, so so 20-odd miles away from what's going on. And you have the French, and then you also have the Japanese who are there spying on the, the Chinese. And that's also China, uh, Japan's only kind of foreign military base, which is where the Chinese are. Anyway, the point is, I would like to know what the... what. Okay, we're talking about the West, we're talking about Britain, we're talking about America, what they're doing to counter the Houthis. But what what... what are, what, if anything, are the Chinese doing? Because 15, I'd like to know a bit more about that. 15% of global shipping or 20% yeah. goes through this area. Where does most of that shipping come from? Ah, it's China. So so what what is the Chinese role in all of this? I don't know. But. Chloe, do you know? I, I, I know that this is hurting China. I'm sure it's hurting China. I'm sure China is also enjoying the West being hurt. So I think it's a double-edged sword there. Um, I, I think there's lots of countries that are being affected by this. China is being affected. Egypt who control the Suez Canal in the north, 10% of their annual budget is uh, brought about through traffic through the Suez Canal, and that's being hurt massively. Lots and lots and lots of countries are being hurt by this. I think China is going to suffer if this continues because of the knock-on effects of um, them not being able to get their products into Europe as quickly. I'm not convinced that it will hurt them enough that they'd want to go into some kind of coalition with the West against the Houthis, it's it's convenient in certain theaters for the for China to allow the U.S. to use its military power, suffer the consequences um, of any fallout. There is a you know minor debate right now about the legality of this action. I, I would say it's a bit of a storm in a teapot from a U.S. domestic angle, but for China, it is convenient to have the U.S. play the role of policing the global commons. Except, of course, there's a whole other theater in which, you know, this is this question of the global commons is contested, and that's the South China Sea. Yeah. China's also been very distracted, right? They've been having their eye on the on the elections in Taiwan, which did not go, as we know, the way that, mm-hmm. that they had that they had hoped. Fascinating. Thank you very much, Chloe. Okay, let's take a break, and then we will try to make sense of what's happening in Iowa. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're 
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Leslie, to you. It's minus 20 in Iowa today, as I understand it. Windchill, I assume. Uh, Windchill factor. <laughs> uh, what, what is happening there and how important is it? Oh, it's the beginning of, you know, the 2020, 2024. <laughs> We're having whiplash back to a very dark <laughs> period in, in U.S. politics. Um, uh, 2024 elections really kick off today with the caucuses in Iowa, the beginning of the Republicans' effort to choose their candidate who will stand in that presidential election. We all know that Donald Trump is the forerunner, but it's a very important race. It's a small state. It comes first. Everybody descends on Iowa. Obviously not a great moment for them because of the snowstorm. Um, and there's a lot of visibility. And so it sets, even though it's a small state, doesn't have huge numbers of you know voters, but it matters a lot in terms of setting the momentum. Having said that, it doesn't, you know, you frequently have a candidate that does well in Iowa and doesn't turn out to be the nominee. But the Trump factor is really the one that people are watching and they're watching to see how well does he do. And also who turns out to be number two. And for a long time, people had their eyes, their eyes on the, the Florida governor, Ron DeSantis, and that seems to have flipped. And Nikki Haley is coming out much stronger as a uh, the likely number two. And so, you know, this is not her state. Her state is really New Hampshire. That happens in eight days time. But people are looking to see how well does she actually do in a very conservative state that leans more to the right in terms of those people who will actually turn out in this caucus and vote. Um, Will she still pull ahead? That would be quite a strong result for her. Okay, so two questions then. Why does number two count? Why does number two really matter? And tell us about Nikki Haley. Well, number two matters because we have a former president who's likely to be the number one who has um, 91 criminal charges against him, who's erratic, unpredictable, chaotic, anything at some level, anything could happen when your top candidate is Donald Trump. And so you you need to have backups. Number two always matters because politics are you know full of unexpected um, events along the way. Oh, I see. So what you're saying is all of those things might mean that in spite of Donald Trump being, I think at the moment, the favourite to come out on top today. The clear favourite. There's a favorite, load of reasons why he might not make it to the White House is what, you're, is ab- what that is. Absolutely. You, you can imagine any number of scenarios with a man like Donald Trump emerging as the Republican nominee. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's also, you know, there's for all of these candidates, they're thinking about their longer term future in politics. Nikki Haley is clearly, you know, looking for her place. Uh, she She's weighing up her position on different policies. Um, so regardless what happens uh, in this slate of primaries, I think she'll be a force uh, in Republican Party politics for years to come. 
And where's she come from? What do we know about her? She has a she has an Im- a very um, legal immigrant story to tell. Her parents are immigrants from India. She converted to Christianity. Her husband is a white American who's in the services. She was a governor of South Carolina. She went on, of course, to be Trump's uh, ambassador to the United Nations. She knew almost nothing about foreign policy. And people that knew her used to say, you know, she'd stand up, she'd start talking about issues. She knew nothing about it, and she'd continue to talk. She's very self-confident. Um, she's learning on the job, uh, and but she does have a very strong voice, and I think there's something about her and her story that resonates. I can see her um, in the medium to long run, and who knows, maybe even in the short run, doing um, quite well in, in Republican Party politics. She's also an internationalist, which is the other thing to note, right? We okay. have a, a real divide, in, and this is where Iowa does connect to the rest of the world. There's a real divide in the Republican Party between those who want to sort of pull America's power back, really focus only on uh, what's happening at home and vital interests. And this is not Nikki Haley's position. She thinks Ukraine should be part of NATO. Um, she and Donald Trump couldn't be more different in their in their understanding and relationship with Donald with uh, with uh, the the Russian leader with Putin. Um, and so there's a real you know consequence for Europe in particular, and there's a consequence for the rest of the world in terms of who actually leads the Republican Party should they actually go all the way to the White House. Super interesting. Will, are you interested in Iowa? I'm very interested in Iowa. I, I can't <laughs> claim to know much about Iowa, um, but I would I would just ask you a question. At, at Chatham House, do you have like a going uh, kind of, I don't know, an odds, kind of a like a who will win? Bet.com kind of bet.com bet odds, another, you know, I mean, like, what, what like are, is there kind of some probability you have on the wall, which kind of changes every week, depending on like, what what are the chances basically of Trump being elected? You know, we don't. Um, we are an international affairs think tank. I, <laughs> I will say, you know, as a theory of politics, I'm, I'm not, a, I really, you know, I reject this idea that you run the numbers and you get an outcome. People decide, right? They decide in the morning. Is it so cold that I don't really care who the nominee is for the Republican Party? I'm going to stay home and not vote. In Iowa, you must turn up. You turn up at 7 p.m. You listen to some speeches. You can only vote in person. It the bar- you know, Iowans know how to deal with the cold. This is not out of bounds for them, but it's still a choice. And so, you know, we know we in this country, we certainly know that whether you decide to get out of bed and vote on Brexit, right? Yeah, the most important decision, arguably, uh-huh. in Britain's recent political history. Um, politics is about people having agency, feeling impassioned, feeling something. So I, you know, it, we don't we don't tend to forecast, um, but we certainly have a lot of analysis about what the consequences would be for Europe and for the rest of the world of any one of these candidates um, getting all the way to uh, Pennsylvania Avenue. Chloe, Iowa or bust? No, I'm I'm really interested in this. I think I think what happens in America is going to be incredibly important for the rest of the world. Yes, but um, what about what happens in Iowa? Well, well what happens in about that today? I do, I do, because I want to see how well Nikki Haley does. I mean, I'm fascinated by her. I think it's really interesting that probably the number two that emerges, if it is her, is going to be a woman. It's going to be somebody who's been quite critical of some of Trump's policies in the past. Um, who doesn't like the way he speaks about women. She's, you know, she's a woman. It's pretty important. Uh, She's been critical of his uh, immigration policies. Uh, She was against his idea of banning all Muslims from coming into America. Um, And she's been quite critical of the language he uses. It's what's also interesting is that quite often in America, the number two ends up being the running mate. I can't see that happening with Nikki Haley. I can't quite think that her and 
Donald Trump are going to get on well enough for them to be running mates. But it will be really interesting to see. You know, it's a really interesting point. And the other thing about Nikki Haley, to pick up on one thing you said, is that she really she is making the argument Donald Trump has zeroed in on a demographic that is diminishing in its size. Right. White, non-college, non-university educated, largely male Americans. And that percentage of the population continues to shrink steadily. Um, So it's not a vision for the future of the Republican Party. And obviously, our institutions are biased towards that demographic, not away from it. But still, you've got to have a broader base. And and Nikki Haley sees herself as the candidate that's going to speak to a more moderate base of the Republican Party, bring more people in, attract women back. Tough thing to do, given her policy on women's right to choose on abortion rights, which is not something she supports. Um, but those basic policy differences and the, the fact that she's so clearly spoken out against Donald Trump makes it very difficult to imagine that a that a former president who cares unrelentlessly, relentlessly to, about loyalty would actually put her as his number two. I mean, you know, Tucker Carlson, any number of people seem more likely than, than <laughs> God, your God, eyes get big scared, that, that that has been floated. Um, any, anything is wow. possible. So, so another question is, what candidate do you reckon that the Democrats would most like to run off against? Who would they N- most? N- not Nikki Haley, um, because I think that I think that she's. If it was some of the polling has certainly suggested that she would um, secure the presidency if she were to go head to head against President Biden. Um, look, I don't think that very many Democrats would like if 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 you said to them. Um, Donald Trump will exit the stage today and cease to be a force for ill when it comes to democracy in America. They would take it. (laughs) Having said that, just from a strategic or tactical point of view, yes, I think that they still believe that Donald Trump is the candidate that they can defeat. Okay, well, no more questions. I'm in charge here. (laughs) Those are the stories. Um, Now let's work out which one should lead the news. Um, So you now each have to choose one of your opponent's stories. You can't pick your own. Chloe, what are you going for? I think I'm going to go for 100 Days of Gaza just because I think it's such an important story. And your question to Will, how do we keep this in the news? It's really difficult when all we're doing is repeating... Um, the statistics of deaths, a, a death toll that's continuing to grow. So I think 100 days is a really useful way of reminding everyone this is still a live issue in Gaza. It's very, very serious. It's ongoing and it's going to have ramifications far, far wider than than that particular region. Well, I'm, 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 I think I'm also going to have to go for um, Chloe's story, which is we're kind of in a way pitching the same story and I know we're not normally meant to select it but I think just in terms of the, the, the potential the the utter horror of what could, could be just a few weeks away if the people in power play their cards wrong I think it's something we should be focusing as much as possible on Leslie Oh, I think you you know you made the right choice. You have to start with the 100 days, but they're linked. I and mean, we you know mm-hmm. we've just heard that, right? They're they're clearly linked. I don't think we'd be seeing the attack. We wouldn't be seeing the attacks in this way on on the shipping in the Red Sea were it not for Israel's um killings of civilians in Gaza in its attempt to root out Hamas, a very difficult goal to achieve. So they're they're clearly linked. Um and I think putting that story up front is absolutely critical. Okay, so two votes for 100 days and one vote for the Red Sea. And in the conversation, I found myself 
totally fascinated by Leslie's commentary, not so much about the procedural of Iowa, but about the character of Nikki Haley and about what she means um, for the rest of 2024. And interestingly, one of the most interesting things about her is her position on foreign policy, which, of course, is going to play hugely into the stories that you've you've both um, pitched, uh, Will and Chloe. So this is really tough, I think. Um, On balance, I think you're right. We have to lead with 100 days. So I think we have to lead with that. But I think a really meticulous and forensic analysis of Nikki Haley is probably worth running at this point in the race. I think probably British media are weirdly obsessed with these early procedurals in the uh, uh, American elections. Perhaps the media are more interested in it than the public are at this stage. But I think really understanding who she is and her character and what she could mean, depending on what happens, is a really, really worthwhile thing to do. So I've loved um, learning about her and thank you for your time. Leslie. Uh, So that's my call. It's two stories, not three. And um, it's Middle East and then it's Iowa. That's it for this episode of the News Meeting. It's been lovely to be back. Chloe and Will, thank you very much. Leslie, lovely to see you. I know you're hot-footing it up the road to go and speak to some other media organisation people may may not have heard of. Um, Tortoise editor Kerry Thomas will bring you Friday's episode. So do join him then. And in the meantime, have a good week. Thanks a lot. tortoise selling a little or a lot shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business from the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the Internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com work. Shopify.com work.